This podcast episode is brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network, where you get your healthcare insights from the most inspiring healthcare podcasters. By building a platform to share challenges, network, and thoughts from leaders, the LabOps Leadership Podcast is elevating LabOps professionals as well as the industry as a whole. With the intent of unlocking the power of LabOps, we deliver unique insights to execute the mission at hand, standardize the practice of LabOps, their development, and training. Welcome to the LabOps Leadership Podcast. Hi, I'm Carrie Anderson. I'm going to be the co-host today, and I am one of the co-founders of the LabOps United Group. Thank you, Carrie. Uh, we're on today with our very special guest, Karen Coria, who is Vice President, Head of Global Clinical Operations at Takeda. What a mouthful. Karen, thank <laughs> you for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Samantha and Carrie, for having me. I feel like I'm excited. I'm honored to have this discussion with you guys, so this is great. Awesome. Well, we're excited to learn a little bit about you. So if you could just start us off by telling us who you are, how you got to where you are today. Awesome. Awesome. So as you stated, um, my name is Karen Korea. I am the proud mother of a blended family of five amazing adult children and six grandchildren. I have had the opportunity to be in this industry for over 30 years. I started right out of college, not knowing what I wanted to do. And I started out in a lab. <laughs> I worked at Siva Geigy um, doing um, genetics research in the RTP, or we say Research Triangle Park area. Had a great job and it was really nice, great team, but realized it was not for me. But I needed something else. So I moved on. I had the opportunity to work at a site doing clinical trials. I had the opportunity to work at CROs. I worked at large farmers such as Pfizer and Sanofi. Now I'm at Takeda and I've worked at small biotechs as well. And I oversee a global clinical operations team overseeing a multitude of clinical trials across multiple therapeutic areas. So that's my background. And that's kind of how I moved up that ladder. And it's been an exciting journey for me. Yeah, I love that. I love origins in the RTP too, because I also have those. So I always appreciate that. Um, no, that's incredible. I think it's a really exciting field and it's exciting to just, like see how you progressed all the way through the ranks, all the way up to the to nearly almost to the top, which is amazing. I love that. So can you just tell us like a little bit more about the work that you're doing and like your key focus areas in clinical operations that you're focused on? No, absolutely. So as you can imagine with clinical operations, we're always focused on patients first. Takeda has um, one of the values that I just love the best. It's called patient trust, reputation, and business, which means all of our decisions are focused around the patients first. Any decision that we make, we think about the patient first. How will it impact the patient? How will how will the patient respond? What does it do for the patient? What does it not do for the patient? And then we look at trust, reputation, and business. So what we're doing is overseeing our clinical trials in different therapeutic areas, such as rare hematology. We've got oncology. We have cell therapy. We have GI. We have neuroscience. So we have a multitude of different areas that we see. Um, we have, I have a team of clinical operation managers and clinical operation program leads. And their job is to oversee the clinical trials from its infancy to its closed out. And we're all the way through with submission, working with inspection readiness, working with the FDA and EMA and different regulatory agencies. So it's exciting. Some of the things that we're working on, um, one thing that's near and dear, which I always bring up, 
is um, what's my master's and my PhD dissertation is diversity in clinical trials. So we have a piece of our processes where, you know, it used to be an initiative um, in my prior organizations, but we actually have staff that focus on diversity in clinical trials. And that's our goal to make sure that the trials that we do are going imp- to that are going to impact the patients that will take those drugs, that they are actually included in the clinical trials. Make sure we have enough women. If, it, you know, if there's a, you know, an uneven amount of women in the trial, make sure there's enough minorities from different diverse backgrounds. Make sure we have enough different gender disparities, you know, make sure we have enough, you know, there's an elderly population that might need to be impacted or a you know, younger generation. So we just look in that piece. So we're working on a lot of different areas in that way as well. So it's a lot it's fun and it's fast paced that's the whole thing with clinical trials and drug development people don't understand it's fast paced you know got a lot to do in a little bit of time because the goal is to get it to the market and reach our patients yeah no that's that's incredible i think that that piece is pretty pretty misconstrued i think you know i think that clinical trials take 3 years 5 years you know they take so long but during that time there's so much that goes into that and so much on the people side, but also on the scientific side as well. Like there's so many people in the background who are just working to, to make this happen all at once. And I think that's an incredible effort. So I applaud you for that. I'm just wondering, you know, what the company is doing. I know you mentioned the different therapeutic areas, but you know, what is Takeda's kind of approach to to that development, you know, from the science side all the way through the clinical, like what are some key things that are important for, you know, speeding innovation within your company? So some of the things that we do that a lot of companies are focusing on is focusing on our digital aspect. We're trying to make sure we're utilizing AI. We're trying to make sure we're using innovation. Like one of the things that's new, you'll hear a lot in clinical trials is decentralized clinical trials. We're trying to take the trial to the patient instead of trying to make the patient come to the trial. So decentralized clinical trials is an opportunity for us to have maybe a piece of our trial or a portion of our trial, or even one day, all of our pieces of that trial to be actually at the patient's home. So imagine someone like you and I, you're busy. Our schedules are busy. Imagine if you have something and you want to be in a clinical trial, but you're like, I can't take off work or I can't leave the house. I got my kids. I have this. I got to schedule it. I got to get to the site. It might be an hour, two hours away. So how can I make this more convenient for the patient? So I think that being able to look at all of that innovation. So we are embracing all of that. And COVID taught us a lot. When we got to stay home for two years, I think we all learned it. We can do a lot from this house, (laughs) as many of us see. So that was the same thing with clinical trials. While we recognize that the patient needs to have that activity and that doctor-doctor contact, we recognize there's a lot of activities that can be done in the home of the patient, kind of like when we have home health. You know, if a patient is sick and they discharge from the hospital, they have a home health agency that comes and we do that. So we can utilize some of those learnings and apply that to clinical trials. So the patient doesn't have to be inconvenient so so much to come to the office. Telehealth is a big thing that we see now. You know, having the opportunity, I don't know if you've had a telehealth visit. I know um, recently I had to have a telehealth visit and I'm like on a screen, I'm looking at my doctor and we're talking and describing what's going on. I'm like, wow, this is, I can't think I could fathom something of this nature 10, 15, 20 years ago in our lifetime. So it's kind of like the Jetsons today. (laughs) So I don't know who did, you know, that's, they were on it, you know, but that's kind of the concept. And I think that's something that we're really looking into because we feel like that's going to be able to allow us to have more patients in our clinical trials, have us to be, have it be more convenient and to keep our patients in a trial. So it's not only thing to recruit a patient, but to retain a patient because they're not going to be lost to follow up because 
they don't have to try to work this into their everyday schedule. So those are just one of the things that we're doing. You know, so we, in the, even from the infancy of our protocol development, we're looking at what pieces of this protocol can be decentralized. So that's some of the things that we're looking at. And I think it's really, really good. You know, it's good for the patient. Again, that's where we start. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Um, so a lot of what you're doing is new and innovative. And, and I'm just curious, I'm sure you come across many struggles while you're going through these new processes. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of these struggles and how you and Takeda have overcome them? So I think Takeda, like every other company, we recognize that there's going to be struggles with new any, any type of new innovation. It's kind of like you got to, you know how we all got our first cell phone, if you remember the big heavy duty phone and it looked like, oh my gosh, I'm carrying this around. What is wrong with me? But I was so excited because everybody else had one. And then we went to the flip phone and then the Blackberry and all that. It, it, it evolved to the smartphone that we have today, but it didn't start off and it had troubles. You, you, your call got lost and you, you had to change phones. You couldn't keep all your contacts from your prior phone. Remember all these kind of, you couldn't keep the same number, all types of things like that. When you think, so I try to use those same type of examples. Is that the same type of thing you're going to see any type of technology that we see within clinical trials? So we have to make sure that we have, you know, we're always utilizing our vendors that we work with. They're always trying to update, you know, their systems, you know, making sure they don't have any, any type of situation where they could be hacked or things like that. Any malware problems. We try to make sure it's updated. We also try to make sure it's convenient so that each patient can understand it. You got translation issues. So there's so many things, and I don't say issues, but concerns, things that you have to overcome. What I think that we do, and I see that all of the companies are doing, is that we're looking at what we call risk mitigations. So at the beginning of a trial, we look at what are the potential things that can go astray and how can we mitigate? So I think it's putting good risk mitigation plans in place so that we can properly prepare for those mishaps, those challenges that they come, because they're going to come. There is nothing perfect. You know, someone told me one day, if you're looking for perfection, you might as well stop because you can't have perfection in imperfect world with imperfect people. So we're human. Things are going to happen. So it's more of just knowing that it's going to happen and being able to proactively plan and proactively mitigate, have a process in place, know what's going to. And you know what? Something else, a word that I, Adam Grant, this uh, great writer says is that you got to be able to pivot quickly. So that's another thing. We're always thinking about how to pivot quickly. So we have a lot of portfolio review and discussions so that when we see those leading indicators not going in the right direction, how can we pivot? That's I think the piece that that's, I think is real critical. So this lab operations community that we've started, one of our big focuses, lab operations is kind of an area that's siloed in companies a lot of times. And it, you know, you're maybe just one or a team of a few people and you have no one to talk to. And so our community was created in order to help each other be able to bounce ideas and bounce press practices. And I'm curious in your opinion, what do you think lab operations is doing to help bring drugs to the market faster? Um, and do you think, can you think of one thing or something you've seen or heard that can make a difference in lab ops? Ooh, that's a very, I think the only thing that I could, that would stand out to me, um, I think of lab operations is when organizations are not, um, when we're sharing. So I think it's the cross pollination from one industry to another or multiple industries coming together. So I think when I started out in this industry 30 years ago, I worked at company X and all I knew was what company X did. I think that the white papers, the conferences, 
the uh, round tables. I think those discussions, those opportunities allow for us to learn from each other. And, you know, you'll say someone do a case study and you're like, whoa, that happened during your, you know, when you were doing, you know, I'll take a specific lab situation. Oh, you were doing some type of um, data analysis and you got this issue. Maybe you were doing a database lock and you were doing reconciliation and you were doing stuff with PKs or you were doing like anything. And you're like, oh, that issue. And you're learning from other companies. And it's not that people are providing their, when someone say their dirty laundry, it's more of them providing, this is what we did and this is how we overcome it. And we want to help you prevent that because at the end of the day, no matter what company you work for, we're all looking towards how do we better the health of our people? How do we better the health of patients? That's because I'm a patient, you're a patient, our family members are patients. So it doesn't matter what company, you know, if someone comes up with a resolution, I want to hear about it. And I think that the pharma company, the biotech companies, labs, all types of organizations, how we are now coming together and sharing practices, I think is the greatest benefit that I've seen in 30 years. And I can honestly say, I don't, re- I don't recall that. I remember conferences, but it was more of like, let's make this connect. Let's make this business. But now it's really, this is one astray and this is how we got there. So now I think that type of learnings is what's making us better as an industry. And I think another big piece is COVID taught us that. We came together as one world saying we have got to fight this pandemic. We couldn't do this in a silo. We would have never gotten beyond, got to the point we are today if we would have did this in a silo. And if we didn't learn anything else from COVID, that's how we should charge our situations with cancer and rare diseases and challenges with our health of our pediatrics, our elderly it's, it's important. I love to hear that because I, I feel the same way. And, you know, it, it's one of those things I love about this industry is seeing different companies come together for the shared vision and goal of helping patients. Absolutely. It's going to make us stronger because, you know, I tell people all the time, is COVID the last pandemic? Probably not. Is it going to be the last situation? We got lucky Fox, you got other things coming. We cannot live in a silo in a glass house or it's all about me. You know, we all still have our own goals and we have our own situations and we still want to do well individually, but you, we also have to come together as a unity when it comes to the well-being of our nation, our world. Yeah, absolutely. So you've had this incredible career and I'm curious to know kind of a two-part question here. What's the biggest lesson you've learned so far? And then second part is, you know, I think all of us are always learning and continuing to learn in our careers. And so what's something you're right now working to learn? Well, um, I think the biggest lesson is I've, lesson I've learned is that you don't know everything. You're always growing. And I think when you're young and you're right out of college, you think you know everything and you got this chip on your shoulders all about you. But when you learn, you know nothing. <laughs> you know absolutely nothing. You come with a little bit more of a humble spirit, and that's kind of where I am. I am, I, you know, 52 going to 53, I'm an extremely humble person. I don't care. I can learn from the person that just started in the industry or someone who's been in the industry 50 years. You can learn from anyone. And I think that when you have that humble spirit, you just grow as a person. And I think you can develop more. I think you can you can become more. And I, you know, something that someone told me, a leader first needs to learn how to follow. So I focus on following and then I just let my leadership be natural. And I just, that's just kind of what I believe in. You know, um, I'd rather be at the back 
pushing my team and then in the front pulling my team and then on the side carrying my team like it's it I'm in all wherever I need to be in that circle that's where I'm going to be and I think that was something I had to learn over time and it took me a while because at first I just I just didn't know like you know I didn't a lot of times we don't have maybe the right um guidance that they don't teach you that in high school and they don't teach you that in college you know everything is technical and tests and stuff but they really don't teach you leadership and they don't teach you about the development. I think that now being on the board, I'm on actually on the alumni board of my university. And so I know there's a lot more development in those types of skills, but they weren't there 30 years ago for sure for me. So I think continuing to provide those types of skills for people is so drastically important. So and what was your second question? I was my sure to forget it because it was so important. Uh, what are you learning right now? <laughs> oh wow, I'm always learning. I think I'm trying to learn how to continue to uh, articulate my message to a different audience. I am learning, when I think of diversity, for example, diversity could come in so many areas. I have your senior, senior leaders of an organization, and then you have those who are at a different level in your organization, and you have people in different groups, and then you have people at different companies. And then you have different people, different education, different backgrounds, or different cultures. So with that, you have to remember that you are constantly trying to read your audience and find that right message delivery. And I don't know if, it, I, I must be very honest, you just, you know, to be your authentic self, you got to sometimes still tailor that to, you know, certain people. Like I'm from Jersey. I talk, well, I'm from North Carolina slash Jersey. I talk fast. So I got to remember sometimes with some people, I got to slow down. And I don't always want to do that because I want to be like right in here. <laughs> and then some people I'm so passionate and so exciting I, that kind of pushes some people away. They can't handle all my excitement. <laughs> I don't want that. So you really, and, and you know, and I tell people that as, as a leader, like that you are constantly trying to figure out where at you're at on the field, on the playing field. Am I pitching? Am I throwing? Am I catching? Where am I at in that process? Because at each one of those playing points, you're, you're, you're responding differently and you're acting differently. Not that you're changing who you are. You're just, reading your audience. And I think that's, so it's that executive presence. And that's, that's a skill. That's a real big skill. Yeah. I, I love that. That's, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's so, that shows so much awareness. And I think that it's so translatable into every single industry, every single person. And I think that's the important thing here, right? Like we're, we're developing leaders and, you know, we want really good people leading us like you and just people who have excitement and dedication and are just, you know, excited about what they're doing. So I love that. And I think that's something that people can really remember as they're climbing the ladder and be encouraged that like, they're not the only ones, like their bosses are still figuring it out too. So absolutely, yeah, that's really important. And I think it, you know, is is when I look at people like you know they're starting out in their career. One thing I always tell someone is don't never have, don't be so busy or so special that you can't help someone else. I I just there, there's nothing worse than thinking that you're so like I personally I trusted about being humble. I will smile and talk to anyone. I will give anything I can. Sometimes I'm 
overextend myself. I try not to, but I do. I'm probably a little behind on my LinkedIn messages and I know so, but I try my best to respond. I try to give, even if, I, even if it's quick, if someone's like, can I just have five minutes? I'm like, yes, I'm gonna give you 10 minutes. What is it that you want me to tell you? Or how can I help you? Because I truly believe I live this life. I tell everyone, you got one chance at this life. It's not a dress rehearsal. And once you close your eyes, you don't get another chance. So you should do everything you can to make every day as powerful as you can for yourself and for everyone that you impact. People are not going to remember, you know, oh my gosh, why am I going blank on her name right now? Because I read all of her stuff. But um, people are not going to remember what you've given them. They're going to remember how you made them feel. And that is critical. So I want to make sure that when people remember me, they're like, oh, I remember her. She was giving, she was humble, she gave, she did she, whatever, whatever. I don't want them to remember, oh, I was I just want to I just want to leave a great impression on who I am and who I can be and what I want to be and, and want to leave that for someone else because again, I only get one chance at this life. That's amazing. And so on that note, if if people wanted to keep up with you and the work that you're doing and just stay in touch, how would they do that? How would they find you, Karen? Um, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I am on social media. I am on Facebook. I'm on IG. But that you'll hear more about me in my personal life, which is still public because I'm a pageant girl. So <laughs> you can hear about that. Um, but that's my I tell everybody that's my downtime because you got to have a downtime. I don't care what it is. You got to have something that you do that's passionate where you could just be yourself. I don't know. Some people run marathons. Some people play golf tournaments. Everybody, you know, everybody does whatever. Some people cycle, whatever makes you have that wellness, have that balance. Because if you don't have that balance, it's going to show at work too. If you don't have a, you, you know, those people you call, you know, that miserable Megan, you know, Megan, you know, that's, that's where it comes from because there's not a balance in that life. You have to have a balance in your life. So please, you can hit me up on any social medias. I try my best to respond. And if I don't just ping me and say, Hey, you haven't responded. And, and, and follow me. I mean, like I said, if I can help you become a better person, I have, and I can close my eyes and know that I've done something great for someone else. That's the best gift anyone could ever give me. I love when people come back and says, oh my gosh, I got that job or I got that promotion, or I was able to do that presentation, or I was invited to speak at that conference or whatever. And I'm like, yes, I'm like so excited because I'll be someone else's greatest cheerleader. Awesome. This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love your enthusiasm for life too. Yeah, yep, it's amazing. Karen, thank you so much again for sharing your story with us and how like you started in the lab and you have progressed and just your energy and your spirit. I have really enjoyed it and I hope that others are encouraged by this, but thank you so much for your time. That's thank all we you. have time for today, but okay. we really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Samantha. Thank you, Carrie. Please stay in touch. I'm only a phone call, text, message away. Great. That's all we have. See you next time on LabOps Leadership Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the LabOps Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For show notes, resources, and more information about LabOps Unite, please visit us at labops.community slash podcast. This show is powered by Elemental Machines.
This episode was brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and let us know what you're looking for.